Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Moon Scars of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka Uwada Related Heatstroke. And I am the Black Metal Guy, aka Harbinger. I barely know her. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> before before we started, you prefaced with, okay, I got a weird one. <laughs> it's like, oh, the weird one is just the worst dad joke possible. Yeah, but it's a very metal dad joke. It, it, it is, you know. It, you know, because the cool thing is, like, I really love, like, heavy, intense, severe metal, but I'm also, like, a dad, and I've got my own microbrewery. So, you know, you can be a lot of different things. Yeah, I like heavy, intense, severe music like Pantera and uh, Stone Temple Pilots. And Sleep. Yeah, it's it's loud and crushing. <laughs> uh. Uh, the, um, man, uh, Uwata-related heat stroke uh, is, um, I feel like that was kind of the nail in the coffin for that band. Yeah, that it's, it's hard to come back from that. I, I think that, like... I, obviously, I've never liked them, but it, it seems like the general estimation of that band has gone down dramatically ever since that incident. It's true. Everyone stopped talking. Yeah, you know, you don't hear about them anymore, which is nice. Well, I think they did some, so. like, other goofy social media shit after that. Just, like, sort of pretentiously sincere shit. There's a lot of ill-advised boomer posting, yes. Like, like you know, using... Making the mistake of using social media to express your emotions, which is like the worst a mistake thing. we've all made. A mistake we've all made, but had to unlearn by about 2017. Yeah, and you're, you know, the, the, the time for you to do that is between the age of, like, up to about 22, 23. You know, that's, that's about your last gasp. When your guy's in a touring band in your 30s, it's, uh, it doesn't really yeah. work out quite as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, before we get into our episode, uh, quick housekeeping, follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. You can also feel free to uh, subscribe to us on Patreon, where $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, as well as the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where we're... Right now, we're primarily discussing the new uh, Sam Hyde reality show, Fish Tank, and we're all very excited for it. <laughs> yeah, whoa! Terminus unconditionally disavows Sam Hyde and all of the all of his all of his all of his mass shootings, terrorist yes, acts, yes, various yeah. violent crimes, hate crimes, white collar as well as blue collar crimes, every kind of crime. Um, so, uh, it's been a little bit, but I actually have a, uh, a mini-review for us today. Um, so, uh, Dan from Galicia and Warrior's Chalice and the seven other bands that feature all the same members that they have out there in SoCal, uh, has started his own little micro-label called Bunsen Burner Recordings. And uh, I was just hanging out with those guys the other day, and uh, they mentioned that they had just recently put out a reissue of a the demo of a local L.A. band from 2008. Uh, and I was immediately interested, so I decided to give it a listen and feature it on the show. Uh, so the uh, first record we're going to discuss tonight is by the band Demon Slot, titled Demon Lord. 
Uh, this is an independent original from 2008, and as I said, the reissue is on Bunsen burner recordings. Uh, so in keeping with the uh, expanding 1.5 wave tradition that we're starting to see, we have another example of it, uh, albeit you know, sort of unstuck from time. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, this is a sort of 1.5 wave thing that a lot of people call black thrash, but also sounds kind of like Nunslaughter or something like that. Uh, the biggest reference points, though, are going to be like first few Bathory records, uh, Sabat from Japan, uh, and I would say like the first EP by Sodom. Those are I'm, all going to be pretty essential. I'm going to take a wild guess and also say Onslaught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so probably probably every, everything that you're imagining is going to be a yes. reference point here. But what's interesting is to imagine this in the context of 2008, where I would say this sort of thing was highly unfashionable. Um, this sort of uh, stuff that would have been comfortably slotted alongside something like Abigail was not, you know, doing great at this period. You know, 2008 mm -hmm. is... You know, orthodox black metal still mid-explosion. It's, you know, Blood Oss Nord's sort of biggest, most progressive works. It's stuff like that. So there weren't a ton of people doing this sort of scrappy shit. But okay, stu stupid question. What about Toxic Holocaust? I think Toxic... Yeah, Toxic Holocaust... Which, which I granted was in a different kind of... Basically instantly became kind of pop, but like... or instantly moved into the sphere of more accessible stuff but the music was formatted like this and based on all those bands yeah, and no, there were a number of other like toxic holocaust wannabes that i can't remember no definitely the sort of the exception that proves the rule i would say is toxic holocaust because I, I thought about that while listening to this and toxic holocaust i actually i, I like a lot i uh, i agree i agree i, I think they yeah it's 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 music for you know decibel tours but he does it extremely well um, mm -hmm. Really nothing wrong with that. Uh, so here, Demon Slot's take is very much like a lot of late 80s stuff from South America. I think I say in the notes that if this was released in 87 in Chile, you know, we would have a thousand copies of this on vinyl released on Nuclear War now, right now. Mm -hmm. um, but what makes it especially interesting is a couple things. One, there's a sense that the musicians are kind of slumming it in a deliberate way. Because there's a lot of just sort of deliberately reductive brick wall riffing on this, but there's also a lot of surprisingly sort of subtle, intricate guitar and drum work that'll pop up from time to time. So I think it's from guys who are actually really good musicians, but just drank like a six pack a piece before they recorded. Um, and the other interesting aspect in keeping with the 1.5 wave is this sort of light brushing of primitive death metal. Uh, like I said, uh, Nunslaughter is going to be a reference point. I think that uh, the earliest stuff by Possessed is definitely a reference point, and probably like the death demos as well. Um, so what you end up with is something that is basically cut to the pattern of what you're imagining, but just has this extra layer of sophistication on a lot of its different constituent parts that makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, so with a big preamble out of the way, let me play a little bit so I can get your opinion. Uh, I want to go to uh, Tormented by Evil. Um, the first couple songs on this demo are okay, but it really picks up steam in the back half, which is where my samples are coming from. Uh, this is 
This is a really interesting track. Uh, listen to all the different mid to late 80s reference points and technique, but then try to figure out if you've ever actually heard those things combined back in the mm. late 80s. Listening to that, I, I, I think the the immediate comparison that's going to spring to mind is going to be sort of like early Venom, but it, it, it's not exactly correct. Um, the sort of uh, Celtic Frost idioms that they're using for a lot of the riffing on this record don't really sync up with the whole satanic speed metal thing. There's a lot of places on this demo where they're taking a, a certain set of intervals that are familiar to one period-appropriate style of late 80s extreme metal and kind of transplanting it into another structural context, which I find really interesting. I guess I can hear the satanic speed metal thing as a production value and the the as in sort of in the inflection of the, the mutes, like it's a little bouncier or groovier than Celtic Frost would be, but mm -hmm. like... The first thing, the um, the double pedal sort of palm mute thing that turns into these these dissonant chords and then a weird bend up to a fifth or something mm -hmm. or a fourth, you know, some like discordantly bright major key thing that just seems like a Celtic frost riff. I mean, you can tell it's an effort to write something like a Celtic Frost riff, like like the Crypt of Rays riff. Yeah, yeah, I was actually going there myself mentally. It is because kind of, Into the Crypt of Rays is just filled yeah. with nothing but weird ass riffs. It's like a classic extreme metal song that doesn't feature any of the sort of logic of later extreme metal riffs. Yes, yeah, 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 for sure. And so 
And so this is a band doing that sort of deliberately rather than kind of by accident. Um, but like it, um, but there is a huge difference in the production values, right? It, it doesn't have the kind of um, dry, dry lower mid uh, bludgeoning tone. It has like bathory production values, right? Uh, yeah. One thing that interested me was the switch from the you know you have the double pedal part going um and then the change up instead of switching to a instead of switching to like a downbeat based riff or a mid-tempo riff or a blast or anything like that right they just go to another skank beat Mm -hmm. which is hilarious yeah (laughs) um like it's 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 basically, I don't know, in some sense, it's basically the same beat, right? Boop, da, boop, da, boop, da, boop, da, boop, da. But, like, it feels like a really significant rhythmic shift. Like, maybe the guitar is shifting, you know, the 16th feel drops out, uh, and it just becomes much more like... Or is the boop, da, boop, da... Is, is the skank beat actually hitting the downbeat, in a way? Uh, boop, da. Yeah. That no, would... it's upbeat. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's like basically the same beat that uh, you know that that is is carried over there, and it just gets more retarded in a way that I think is very like that strikes me as kind of punk scene from that roughly that time period. You know, that's like a bone all strut. Definitely, yeah. You you can you can hear the very deliberate way or, this is linking back to eighties punk and Motorhead. Um, yeah. And I, I think that for this style of music, maintaining a really direct line back to that is really important. Although nobody did those retarded skank beats in the 80s that yeah. I can find. The the kick snare thing, that's like a deliberately... Like, instead of doing the D beat or the faster Slayer beat, right? Doing this sort of like slow, loping, eighth note kick snare thing. That's like... That's like raw this sort of like raw hardcore stuff from right around that time i mean you could like also say the youth attack bands or whatever right that's like one of the quote-unquote stompy beats that you get a lot in black metal now um it's so it's it's kind of a history as far as i can tell it's a historical anomaly in this song that makes it less vintage than it might have for at first sound yeah it's it's definitely an interesting record to listen to Mm-hmm. When you're someone who's listened to a lot of that and like picking apart what could have been done and what couldn't have yeah. been done, yeah. um, uh, the, the solo part is also really interesting because. Well, you could, heard, get, you could get there directly from uh, Venom and Motorhead. For sure, except that you're fucking up all the notes under it. Like <laughs> they're they're playing like a. I think under the under it is just like dumb, dumb, dumb. You know, it's just like a Dorian idea. I think I don't think there's anything particularly dissonant there, but it just clashes at almost every note somehow with the with the uh, the solo. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, yeah, they're playing in different scales, uh, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty neat. It, it's it's like the solo is where the song completely falls apart. It's basically like a noise solo. Yeah, yeah, they they're uh, they're really maintaining the integrity of like never getting too good, yeah, <laughs> never getting too coherent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's go to another sample, uh, another really weird passage. This is going to be an additional situation where all these riffs are conceivably from the mid '80s, 
but structured in a really weird modern way. And here you're going to hear some more of the kind of understated technicality. There's a really cool sort of intricate descending kind of legato line that's played on guitar here that's right out of the weirdest moments of the first Possess record. Yeah, so that that whole arrangement is pretty interesting, and I I really like that that what I would call a really pure example of a one point five wave riff. That main melodic riff in there, that yeah, because it's like it's like a sort of a a thrash melodic idiom, but played just as straight single note trem, uh, which which is like a really sort of like an old funeral thing, you know, a way to bridge the gap between those ideas that I really like. Um, I don't know. There's there's something about this demo where it just strikes me as there's so many ideas and we can detect where they're all from, but they've never really been arranged like this, like that really that really weird just um, two chord like discharge interrupter riff that they use a few times there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never heard that positioned next to songs with big like pentatonic venom solos, you know. <laughs> I think actually, yeah, that's the like nasty bend down from a major third to a minor third, right? That's that half step bend. I think that's what was happening under the solo in the previous song. Mm-hmm. I just my my ear was a bit off, but yeah, that's why the solo sounded so fucked. Anyway, yes, that is very like extreme thrash to do, uh, but also clearly hints at black metal melody. I mean, that the trem line reminded me of Possessed. Yeah, yeah. I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, are, are we doing burning in hell? Hey, all! This is Brandon from Cromlech, and you're listening to Terminus! And we are back from a quick break discussing the virtues of Bastard Priest and Legion of the Damned <laughs> to review something very different Condomne by Karn. 
on Epictura Productions. So this is the third record of this French band. Uh, it follows uh, Symposium of Torments back in 2017, uh, which was one of those records that I sort of clocked as very cool, but didn't really listen to much, and kept an eye on the band, though. So I was stoked when this came out. Basically, that record, from what I remember, uh, it was, you know, uh, conspicuously French, but it was a... Uh, it seemed like a basically kind of a fuck-off nowadays black metal thing, where it was uh, sort of... Um, very aggressive, storming, kind of geometric, a little bit more like, I don't know, a little bit more like the Norse bands or Marduk than this record. Um, you know, you, uh, and this record is really a huge branching out in terms of sound. Uh, and, um, I mean, this one... I, I really like this. Uh, this is the first record I've heard this year, and that made me go like, oh, now that's a black metal record. <laughs> um, it probably helps that there is very full band playing, uh, and that they uh, capture the full spectrum of black metal emotions without leaning on, you know, uh, second wave revivalism. Mm -hmm. uh, um Instead, this is, uh, this seems like a statement on the essence of French black metal, which is basically, uh, um, it's built like a Gothic cathedral and it sounds like the apocalypse and it has to be aggressive, right? Now, obviously a lot of the, you know, some of the best known French bands you wouldn't exactly say are remarkable for their aggression right you know mm -hmm. mutilation or something right and there's clearly a link to all of those bands here um but what these guys insist on is play black metal and black metal right as something that could measure up to the uh aggression and intensity of the 90s norse and swedish bands um and this was like and at the time, it is it, it's pretty pretty brutal places, but at the same time, it's extremely listenable in a way that's kind of refreshing. The first time I put this on, I listened to it two and a half times. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, uh, and it, yeah, so it feels like a very complete record, uh, and. Um, you know, as you say in your notes, sort of reminds of a time from before the underground splintered into a bunch of micro niches. But if there's like a uh, originary moment this band is harkening back to, it's going to be early 2000s France, which mm. is basically when French black metal emerged, or, or mid 2000s France, when French black metal kind of emerged as the new contender, right? Before then, you had the LLN, you had. Uh, you know, you, you had Senior Voland and Kristallnacht and all that, but and Osculum and Fam. But this was the point at which there were more high-concept, high-musicianship French bands. Uh, and number one, with, with the first thing I thought when I heard this is, like, this is like DSO without all the clutter. Um, well, it's kind of like, it's, 
it's it's DSO, but hearing DSO purely as a French black metal band rather than as an orthodox band. Yeah, yeah, I like that distinction. That this doesn't really sound like orthodox black metal at, at, at all. Um, it's not dependent on the skronk chord, um, mm-hmm. and it is, uh, and it is much more focused on direct uh direct melodic attack rather than either atmosphere or kind of like theatrics um the uh you know like uh, so it sounds like a bit like infernal battles and inquisitors of satan Hmm. i think it has a lot of that uh but without the kind of most derivative aspects of those records so this doesn't just sound like totally undigested gorgoroth riffs yeah Uh, yeah. um and it, what it really sounds like maybe is just the most powerful moments on C Monumentum, but absent both the moments of kind of labored, churning uh, chord work that, you know, goes in between them, and more so absent the sort of uh, the things that are supposed to be essential but that are actually filler, like the, the choir, you know, the five-minute-long tracks of choir, choral stuff. Yeah. Um, without these grand gestures that tell us to hear it as art, right? If you just like the Carnal Malefactor riff, this is the record for you. Yeah. <laughs> and you could say the same thing about the other main influence here, which I think is Pest Noir. Um, I'm not sure I would have said that until recently, but I went back and listened to uh, Sonny de Siecle for this show, basically, and... Was pretty blown away, and it's it's like the most elaborate, glorious riffing on that, minus the kinds of uh, deliberately wacky things that Pest Noir was doing at that time, mm-hmm. which which again were kind of this. I think it was a little more effective in Pest Noir on those early records, at least before it got too out of hand. But again, yeah, well, that w- at, what, at the beginning it was breaking out of a form, but then it coalesced into a form of its own. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. It was it was this sort of explosive new possibility space, and it was uh, tempered by immediate songcraft, right? Uh, but it, it was definitely you know the 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 bizarre explosions of folk stuff, or uh, you know, uh, as we say on the show, gay circus music. Uh, <laughs> sort of, um, they were they were tempered by just immediate riff and songcraft. Um, and, but those are the moments everyone latched onto because they were the extras that somehow signaled that this was art or whatever, right? And then eventually, sort of, Pestmar got taken over by the concept and by the extras. Mm-hmm. This is very non. This record is kind of a statement, but it's a statement by being very non-conceptual. They strip away all the superficial markers of like this is art, and they just make art. Yeah, it's a it, it's an <clears throat> it's interesting because it's a uh, a record with a, a high level of technical skill and structural complexity, but it's still remarkably straightforward in its delivery. You know, it it, it is a um, while it is more elaborate than most, it is still basically a riff to riff black metal record. You know, mm-hmm. it's um. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I, I really like this one a lot. I think this is going to be like a weird dark horse that ends up on my year-end list. Um, but it's it's also something that requires several listens to fully digest. 
because um, mm-hmm. the way these songs are arranged tends to be super linear and like a, a compounding sort of linearity because so much of it is based around like single winding lead guitar riffs that will um, extend past the boundaries of rhythm riffs and sort of, you know, that into oblivion style of just like single neoclassical melodies. Um, and yeah, I, I like that. That's a good comparison. Yeah. yeah and the, and the melodic ideas on display are definitely from like firmly within French black metal tradition, but just executed at a really, really high skill level mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm certain inflections. I, I think that this is more authentically like early and mid-2000s French black metal than most of the French-style black metal we hear because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. all know what kind of those those French um, melodic intervals sound like now, but we forget just how kind of wild they were um, on a lot of the yeah. older records in the style. They've, they, some of the rough edges have been sanded off, yeah. and they're not sanded off here. There's a lot of very strange intervallic choices where you kind of have to, like, sit with a melody for a few seconds to mm-hmm. see where it's going to justify some of these huge leaps across the mm-hmm. fretboard. Um, yeah, huge leaps across the fretboard is a great way of um, describing it. I mean, they use there's one specific technique, which is just, like, swoop up an octave or more that DSO uses at some key dramatic moments that is just, like, completely integrated into Karn's technique. Yeah, there's a, that. I was actually thinking of that specifically. Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. use that a lot, where they're, they're yeah. bouncing between octaves, or even, I think, yeah. between, like, they're, they're skipping a whole octave in between the two that they're hitting. There's a lot of just, like, really wild string skipping stuff, mm-hmm. but it never seems, like, overly flashy or technical. It's just the kind of thing you get by sitting down with a guitar for a really long time and puzzling <laughs> out very deliberately what you want to yeah. do. Um, so this is very high art in the sense that it's got this kind of neoclassical construction, <clears throat> but it's also really good at just providing the straightforward heavy metal kicks that were always a part of mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. French black metal. You know, I'm, I'm always go. I'm always going to go back to Hero Lorne, which also has the connection to DSO there. Um, Hero Lorne is something I tie to this, but actually the thing that this really reminds me of, which might seem weird at first, is a band that you have I have t- that you and I have talked about, but I don't think we brought up on the show, which is Nys, N Y S S. Uh, who are a newer band, like in the last 10 years or so. They've only done a couple records, but I really, really like them. Um, and anyone who has heard Nis might think this is a weird comparison because Nis is very spare and very um, austere and deliberately minimal, and this is certainly none of those things. But the thing about Nis is, for all of its uh, sort of high-minded, almost hipsterish aesthetics, it's really just based around really, really, really good French black metal riffs. Um, and ones that are very carefully chosen and just barely adorned in the way that a lot of the riffs on this record are. Uh, so I think there's a sort of spiritual similarity uh, between those two. But yeah, now overall, I think this is just a this is just a this is a really good record because you know it's got the com- the sufficient complexity to be interesting for a bunch of listens and to be high art, but it also has all the direct enjoyable quality of traditional French black metal. So yeah, it is kind of a referendum on the the state of the regional style, and I think that it pulls it off better than a whole hell of a lot of bands are right now. 
Yeah, I, I agree. This is definitely year-end for me. I mean, uh, the um, the NIST comparison is interesting because, as you said in your notes, it may raise an eyebrow for some. And when I read it, I read it. I thought, I'm raising my eyebrow. <laughs> but um, the way you explain it makes sense. It's like NIST does this extreme, even though the music isn't even really structured like black metal, right? I, I remember you talking about it being structured like industrial, right? Yeah, it's uh, structured kind of like electronic music or something. Yeah. Even though there's a ton about it that is very different, on a melodic level, it really is an effort to distill down, distill the French style to its essentials. And it's like Karn is operating at an equal level of concentration and potency, but the scale has been like quadrupled. It's like yeah. every every melody is four times as long, if not more. Every uh, the songs are uh, you know the songs have way more parts in them. Uh, the you know there's like men, multiple layers of harmonization. Uh, oh yeah, last thing I want to flag, which I'll mention again, is the importance of tandem guitar style here. Mm-hmm. This well, is yeah, not it's, a, it's the foundation of this whole record. Right. And it may actually be something that sets it apart from its influences. That is, DSO dominated by one guitarist, right? Uh, Pest Noir dominated by one guitarist. Uh, these guys play tandem riffs written in tandem in the way that the Swedes did in the 90s. And they can do that because they've had a remarkably stable lineup. These two guys, um, the main two dudes uh, listed as uh, Rido, like the Rune, and HKA have played together since 2012. With the mm-hmm. and they've the vocalist has also been a pretty consistent off and on member. So, yeah, there's definitely full band energy here. And what's interesting is you know you talking about how it's like, oh, it's the things that you like about French black metal just sort of like upscaled, which is completely true, and it's also one of the reasons why this is going to be just like a totally underground gem and will never be Instagram popular. You know, it, because it's like it's actually demanding on the listener. Like, the mm-hmm. amount that you get out of this album is going to be very closely related to how much attention you're paying. Um, I, I think this is a record that really rewards genuinely focused listening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that a lot of popular... You know, a, a lot of popular French black metal at this point has been distilled down to, you know, this sort of catchy pop black stuff when historically French black metal was always, like, pretty intricate and pretty complex. So it, it's mm-hmm, interesting mm-hmm. to say how much of that... You know, I guess there's an argument to be made by some that maybe some of it was just sort of like maximalist cruft that wasn't doing anything, which is probably yeah, true. And we, we've both made that argument, but it's mostly about the, the extras rather than the writing itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, DSO, I've had a contentious relationship with that band my whole life, but uh, yeah, no, they can pull off huge, amazing riffs periodically. It's just, I've never been into, as you said, all the sort of conceptual extras that came along with it. Um, So it's cool to hear a record that's basically doing all the cool parts of DSO in this very streamlined, very direct fashion. Um, So speaking of which, uh, should I just go for the first sample? Yeah, let's let them have it. Yeah, and this is good because um, this is very like directly related to DSO. So I'm going to go to the song Limbus Puerorum. Yeah. Um, yeah. Limbo of the children. Oh, okay. Um, so it's interesting because there is this sort of like oblique orthodox feel 
to some of the riff craft on this record, but maybe that's just by way of DSO. Maybe it's not really orthodox. It's just DSO, but I, I don't know. I would mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. listen to more orthodox again to really think about it. But here you're going to hear basically riffs that are structured in the manner of orthodox black metal riffs, but with just much more interesting melodic content that comes from the French black metal tradition. Um, and in addition, another thing that separates it from DSO or from a lot of the French Orthodox bands is that it feels highly organic. Every part feels necessary and related to every other part. And is it a smoother listening experience? Sure, but I don't think it loses any of its like high contrast and high energy as a result. So right off the bat, that opens with sort of Karn's version of a spooky DSO arpeggio. But instead mm-hmm. of just sort of like laying on that that chord shape, I, I know how to play it on guitar, but I don't know what you call it. It's mm-hmm. it's like uh, it's like f- five seven seven six going down the strings. You know, it's like ooh. The spooky interval. Um, it, so instead mm-hmm. of doing that, they just kind of make it like a like as you were saying while I was playing like a doom riff, and mm-hmm. then everything sort of spills out from there. But the lead guitar, uh, or I guess they're both kind of lead guitars. The higher pitched guitar is mm-hmm. the, uh, the the guiding voice for this entire section, and I like the way it keeps 
The lead keeps going, it never really repeats itself, and it changes mood along with a, a whole set of different riffs being played under it. Uh, I also really like that when they go into the sort of aggressive, interrupting Dark mm-hmm. Throne riff, they don't, they don't, it's been a while since we said that. We haven't heard an interrupting Dark yeah, Throne riff yeah, in a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, here, it's actually really cool because they take that riff and they write it with the same seriousness that they do the more melodic yeah! material. It's yeah! it's not a stock in the shadow of the horns type phrase. It's thought through. You know, it's uh, there's just little twists on it. It's it's three bars long, which gives it kind of a lopsided feel and allows them to do something with the last measure. There's uh, a lot of play just within that section, and then they very smoothly bring it back into a blast beat with that arpeggiated intro and then another lead on top of it. It was just a really sophisticated kind of oh, agglutinative and, songwriting going on. And, and at the end, the lead is going insane. He's like, it sounds like he's maybe just soloing, yeah. like improvising. This being um, also, uh, another weird comparison, this being kind of reminds me of Plaga in a lot of places. You know, and I, I talk about Plaga on the show a lot, but Plaga does a lot of similar stuff where they'll take a... Uh, you know, you'll have sort of a simple rhythm riff and then a lead that is played in a, almost a bluesy idiom, not in the sense of like the interval choices, but in the way that it selects five or six notes and just sort of explores mm. the relationship between all of them. Just kind of hangs I, out I, in this little box on the fretboard. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. The. Um... Again, well, that's another good sign about this band, that it bears comparison to something as stripped down as Nice, or in a different way, Plaga, is mm-hmm. a sign of uh, of the fact that there's no fat here. Um, yeah, yeah. I think these guys... But are... let's talk about the aggressive... Let's talk about the aggressive riff more, speaking of which, like, there, are, there's just... There's, like, two... I, I think you're totally right that they, they write that... Um, it's just there's way it's like the best version of that riff I've heard and I don't know how long right uh, in part yeah it actually has a melodic shape to it um, the turnaround at the end is brutal and unexpected and then they do another riff that does the same thing but different where a weaker band would go back to the blast immediately it's fully committed they're like no we're gonna make this we're gonna crank up the aggression with this second one right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that is an important thing to note is that there is a real premium placed on maintaining that level of aggression, you know, despite how sort of delicate a lot of these melodies are. You know, there's lots of like gossamer, uh, almost (laughs) whispery lead lines, but it never it always feels like um, it's the star on top of the Christmas tree. It draws the eye, mm-hmm. but it's not the entirety of the foliage, you know? Mm, I um, like that. Yeah. And I think that it's one thing that you also mentioned when you were kind of given the, the intro of the album. I think it is important to note that it's like, yeah, this is the first black metal album I've heard in a, a long while, even on the show, that is like, yes, this is a very good black metal album. Yeah, um, yes, it's such a relief. Well, it's like 2022 was just um, all the best black metal albums were also death metal albums. You know? Well, and, and within black metal itself, the best things were focused niche exercises. So the most comparable things, both of which I liked a lot, were the record by Gregorian, but that was like deliberately one-dimensional, mm-hmm. right? It, yeah. it, was, it was sort of similar tonally in certain ways to this, but 
but much more on the, you know, Marduk side of it, much more dissonant and uh, deliberately just pummeling. And on the other side, maybe the Ataygar record, which has a similar scope. But again, that also has its own very specific niche because all of that, as you observed, and I think more and more is true, that record really was sort of deliberately distant and atmospheric, even though it had a bunch of kind of uh, spiky riffs in it. Yeah, yeah, that that is, you know, the Ataygar uh, was something that was very indebted to a sort of late 90s, early 2000s model of like what we originally called atmospheric black metal. Um, you know, mm-hmm. lunar, yeah, aurora, oh, yeah, not yeah. shit about trees, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so, yeah, well, yeah. Oh. Hey, Lunar Aurora was about trees. They were just tougher trees. Yeah, yeah. They were. It was. It was very hardwood. Um, <laughs> no. So, but yeah. No. I, I. One of the things that I like best about this album is just that it is exactly what it says on the tin. It's only a black metal record. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I. It's. It's weird for me to say it because it's like last year I almost felt bad. It's like all the black metal albums that I liked were just ones that were like doing a lot of death metal things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's nice to be like okay. Finally, a pure black metal record. There was also the Shavat from earlier this year, which I still really love, but that's also like, you know, it's got its post-black inflections and shit. This is the most severe and straightforward one we've had in a while. Yeah, the Shavot, the Shavat record is great, but to me, but just because, yeah, because it has its post-black thing and because it's still clearly a one-man effort, right, mm-hmm. it doesn't quite tick this box in the same way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well, definitely yeah. it's it's on its own thing, and it's and that's also not trying to be aggressive for the most part. Um, yeah, it's like narrative songwriting, yeah. as you said. Yeah. Um. So let me go to another one where we get to hear more cool leads. Just kidding. That's every song on this album <laughs> is built around really cool leads. Um. So I don't know if I have a ton to say about this sample, but I really love how melodramatic this lead line is. You're going to hear some of that really cool sort of demented, like super long slide or string skipping stuff Mm -hmm, that we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. And really what makes this record so good is just a matter of degree. Uh, You know, it's a matter of the skill on display. Most of this song, most of these songs are based around a lead line interacting with really sort of wide spread out four string trimmed chords but these guys are just so good at intuiting the natural progression of these songs while still dotting them with enough twists and turns to not just be an exercise in like a particular style so let's go to kaffa and then we'll listen to it and then i'll immediately compare it to the other band that we all love
Yeah, so there we've got um, basically everything that this band does really well in uh, less than two minutes. Uh, you've got the that really crazy, winding, spindly lead line with those really dramatic leaps across the fretboard. Um, you've got just really distinct, articulate, melodic ideas, and I'll get back to that in a moment. The the sort of, like, crusher interrupter riff, again, is very good. That's one of the best articulations of one of those just sort of... Sort of that's that's almost like a horna riff. That's like a French oh, take on a horna. That's riff. that's a lot like a horna riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. some of those it's... melodic turns are very horna because I've been listening to them a lot more lately. Um, I approve. Yeah, and no, it's 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 really awesome. And uh, the big point of comparison that we're gonna make is uh, I'm gonna compare it to Spite Extreme Wing, the band that every good band sounds like, but none of them have ever listened to. Um, and you uh, you followed up on that in the notes, and you're completely right. It is about these sort of like powerly powerfully shaped, very incisive riffs that are sort of geometric without ever being scronky. You always describe uh, spike streaming riffs as being like lightning bolts, you know, straight lines and sharp angles, you know, but very clear. And that applies to a lot of the riffing on this record too. There's lightning bolt... But the strange thing about Sprite Extreme Wing and about this, I, yes, the lightning bolt thing for sure. So the weird thing, right, there are also parts of Sprite Extreme Wing that are just like graceful, curvilinear kind of things, mm -hmm. right? Like on, I don't know, Claremont, I always come back to, or um, I don't know, there's there's a bunch of a bunch of songs that just kind of, you know, Sprite Extreme Wing also soars a lot, mm -hmm. right? And on, on Ultra, they make that into the whole sound, right? But like the... Um, uh, there's, you know, the interesting thing is on this record, too, there are lightning bolts, but also even in these big curving, uh, swooping tremolines or whatever, there are these inflection points mm -hmm. that's like like the lightning bolt uh, thing. But it's like uh, the way to visualize it almost, I think, is like for, for you know, um, Spite Extreme Wing is more geometric. Uh, Karn is like... Uh, gothic architecture right um yeah that's and, that's and, good yeah because it's gothic whereas you know spike streaming are very deliberately doing this sort of like evil light modernist thing yeah yeah classical sort of both yeah classical austerity in the but like reimagined in this in this yeah sort of uh geometric modernist way uh and and so in this case you know think about the gothic cathedral i mean you instantly got it but for the listeners right you want like you know, think about, like, uh, flying buttresses and vaults. And uh, in the French Gothic cathedrals, right, you have these just really intense curves coming to points mm -hmm. in the Gothic arch. And uh, coming to points and being uh, sort of um, colliding and bouncing off each other and interacting. Uh, and this just, like, cr you know stunning level of detail everywhere like you get in some of those lead lines you were talking about yeah um so yeah but yeah the key is how do you write a really powerful riff it has to have inflection points and uh even cooler if there are these inflection points that will turn it from like spiky lightning bolt into you know uh smooth flowing archway right mm -hmm. yeah it's uh, and that really has to do i think with just like, how do you do that practically? I don't I don't even think it's necessarily the writing. I think it's just the full band energy and just how good and musical these guys are. 
Um, which is, it's sort of an absurd thing to describe a band as musical, you know, it's like, I would, I would hope so we're making music, but you know what I mean? There's, there's certain kinds of guys like, for instance, I'm a guy who got into playing guitar to like play black and death metal. Um, so everything I do on guitar is just geared toward that. These guys feel a lot more well-rounded on their instruments. I think it has something to do with the writing, but maybe not something you could, you know, maybe not a rule you could prescribe, right? You know, yeah, it's um, not something you could offshore in the way that you can just the DSO riff. You know, the, yeah, nothing here is sort of, uh, yeah, that nothing here is on autopilot. But uh, you know, another thing, a thing that's kind of between writing per se and just musicianship would be like rhythm in in the in the wrist, right? So like. Mm-hmm the way Argento will, like, mark each uh, trem run and, like, turn and pivot and dive from one trem run to another. These guys do that. When you hear those swoops, right, there's, mm-hmm. like, changes in articulation that are very musician-y, but, like, they're written into the riff. Yeah, that is true. Uh, here here it feels more organic than Spite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like that. I, I really like this record in general. I, I, I think this is... I, I think this is something that's going to stick with me, and I'm just going to listen to it more and more, and I'm probably going to start really picking it apart for guitar ideas and shit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so next one, um, the, let's the uh, this is um, I don't know how do I introduce it. You know, honestly, if I want to like do show off some i might reverse my samples if you want like another example of that kind of um uh um inflected spiky pivoting riff uh the 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 sort of highly contoured writing uh let's go to a cool example of the hybrid riff um so this was like it's it's easy to hear in this case because there's a tonal shift in the middle of the riff um so this is from the last track on the record. I didn't want to give away the surprise, but then I did. It's just really good. Uh, maybe I'll save the gushing about it till later, but um, from a songwriting perspective, right, uh, you're going to start off in a really cool, ver- another, as you pointed out, really cool version of a standard orthodox arpeggio passage um, with some tap picking that's kind of like Pest Noir. Um, it's going to transform, and then you'll hear a one-off, just a barnstorming one-off riff that has like two to three different parts in it. It's never repeated. It just fires off the next part of the song.
Yeah, those are all great. Yeah, so we've got, um, you know, there's, in any sample, there's a ton you can talk about here. Uh, but um, the, uh, you know, at the end of the sample, you could hear under the big block chords, the trill actually returns mm-hmm. the, the tap picking. <laughs> um, but uh, basically, yes, you could hear how they turn the tap picking into this just insistent, uh, you know, as you would say, shepherd's tone kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then just boom, a, a riff that is just like an effort to outdo DSO. Right. Yeah, that is just, totally like the big solo fide riff, you know. Yeah, but like more. Yeah. Right. They, 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 I, I kind of get the sense that this is one of those things where it's like we love DSO so much we have to kill them. Right? <laughs> uh, it's which I mean, which Christian I'm sure would uh, really approve of. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he'd be like, "Yes, yes." Um, Finally, you've cracked the code. Yeah. Exactly. Um. But uh. So that record, that riff just rockets in every direction at once. There's a good example of, although it's always, as you say, with this organic flowing execution, that riff kind of lightning bolts all over the place. Yeah. Like yeah. in an instant, right? Just, uh, um, and then it evens out, sweeps up, um, turns around, that gets a, you know, a little, a little bit of a darker phrasing and then eventually drops into a gnarly tritone and just sits there, <laughs> which, 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 which spins us into the next riff. But there's a very good, that riff has like, I mean, it either has three inflection points or it has 16. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and that launches this next riff, which is just uh, astonishingly good on, on a record that like where you've heard just extremely well executed versions of classic French black metal riffs. You could even say that about that insane one-off riff that I just talked about for like yeah. three minutes, right? That's it's, it's a really well executed classic French black metal riff. This next one just seems like a Karn riff. Like I've never heard a band play something like that. It, at first it has that kind of intense death metal scronk, right? You, you, you can maybe hear some of DSO's influences there. You could hear some Soren or some Sentenced. Mm-hmm. But but by the end of the phrase, right, there's this, like, lifting key change that gives it that sighing turn, right? Maybe a bit of the, the fainting vampire. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's a it's, set of very specific intervals that French black metal bands use that are just so... Mm-hmm. They just put France in your head. There, there's this one... There's this one phrase, this, like, four-note cluster. I always call mm-hmm. it, like, the Requiem for a mm-hmm. Dream cluster. Because, mm-hmm. like, on the main song from the soundtrack for that movie, there is this very francophone note cluster that occurs mm-hmm. on it. And you'll hear it in a lot of French black metal riffs. And I heard mm-hmm. it on this one, too. <laughs> that that makes sense. So, yeah, this riff, just as it starts out, it's, it's, re- it's a really gnarly riff. It depends totally on the tandem harmony. Right, they're just playing. It's disharmonic all the way through, two lines, and and each time it repeats, it's different, and each time it repeats, it sounds more and more French. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and there's another riff like that that I got a flag on the beginning of Limbus Puerorum, which you skipped entirely, which is fine because there's an embarrassment of riches, right? Yeah, there's just a crazy good riff passage, which again has some of this more. Uh, 
um, eerie, uh, sort of, yeah, eerie disharmonic melodies, uh, kind of whiplashing around in cool ways. Uh, Those two really feel like specific riffs only this band could write. And expanding forward, I would like love to hear more of that stuff without abandoning any of the other things that make this so awesome. Yeah, you know? no, I I think that if I, Karn are very good at sort of, I mean, if we want to boil every regional style of black metal down to like a single adjective, I guess the one that you you use for French black metal is sort of wistful in a way. But they, you know, the problem is a lot of modern bands emulating the French style just boil it down to just that. Whereas Karn sees it as a launching pad for a whole lot more sort of emotional and melodic shades they can put onto that. Well, I feel like here the sort of the the yearning or the melancholy or despair. It's you can have that where it is just sort of fainting vampire, right? As mm-hmm. is everything, you know, all this sort of iffy kind of goofy shit these days. However, that's as you say, that's just lifting one part of it. Mm-hmm. In con, these this band reinstalls that in its original context, which is it's like apocalyptic melancholy, right? It's very sad that the world is ending, but you know, you did it. Yeah, I mean we're yeah. we're here. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what are we gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very. It's a, it's unfortunate that the world is ending, but it's also very cool. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and so th- this is uh. Yeah, it returns the grandeur to it. Um, yeah, I, I, I can yeah. agree with that. Yeah, I mean, if there's two inflections on French black metal and one is sort of like epic adventuring music and the other is this sort of, you know, sneering, dispossessed depression thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are really good at unifying those ideas. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, so now let's get to the last sample. I mean... Uh, this is uh i mean well <laughs> here here's a here's a perfect title le silence est, est d'ordre
don't know. Is there anything more to say? Uh, not really. <laughs> it's just really fucking good.
Well, after uh, a break, after talking about a, a lovely, elaborate French black metal record, it's time to go for something uh, absolutely within the same niche that will please all of the same audience. Uh, <laughs> this is the newest record by Hyman Holocaust, titled The Death King, out on Rotten Roll Rex, which is a really great label. We we just very rarely have the opportunity to cover something that like makes sense from it. But if you guys are into this kind of thing, Rotten Roll Rex is a phenomenal label. Um, so Hyman Holocaust is a Dutch one-man porno grind band. I, I'm using the term porno grind loosely, but we'll go with it for now. Uh, I've been listening to him basically since the first couple records came out in 2006, and uh, now this is the sixth full length that the project has produced. It seems like he knocks out a couple real quick, kind of goes into hibernation, does it again, and repeats that cycle. It's sort of like a project he does when he's not doing other things, because uh, the, the guy behind this has a, a history in uh, Clit Eater, which is a pretty well-known Dutch death grind band who are pretty cool. Um, so Porno Grind uh, as an idea is interesting. Uh, Hyman Holocaust exists in this sort of intersecting nexus of like gore and porno grind and old school death metal and like primitive extreme metal. But just the, the idea of porno grind is interesting because when people use that term, they mean a few different things. We can be talking about themes. We can be talking about a certain kind of scene, but I would make an argument that there is a pretty distinct musical identity to what I would call porno grind. Um, and the roots of it aren't necessarily what everyone expects. I mean, you would look at some of this stuff, listen to a little bit of it, and you would assume that it's gore grind bands who swapped dead girls for alive and naked girls. But it's not really exactly like that. Where Porno grind really springs out of like a noise grind tradition. Um, you know, connecting all the way back to anal cunt, but especially through stuff like the meat shits, uh, their early noise grind material. Uh, later on, Gut, the sort of like establishing preeminent porno grind mm -hmm. band, uh, who had a lot of those sort of anal cuntisms, but started to move it in a different direction, and then really getting consolidated by bands like uh, Cock and Ball Torture and Rompa Prop, those sorts of dudes. So the history of porno grind is deeply intertwined with a, a tradition of sort of like extreme experimental music. Which is also why a lot of the porno grind bands... That is interesting. I didn't, yeah, yeah, didn't realize that. I, I never really thought about it in so many words until I started thinking about doing this review. Um, but yeah, and I, I think that a lot of people, you know, I, I, for obvious reasons, it's something that's very easy to dismiss out of hand. But if you listen to a band like Cock and Ball Torture... Um, the kind of stuff they're doing has never really been replicated. They have an entirely unique set of riffing idioms that you don't really hear outside of that tiny little niche scene. Um, because I think a lot of what makes Porno Grind cool is that a lot of its conceits originally started as sort of just musical jokes, but then they were elaborated and iterated upon. So the sort of like bizarre, bluesy rock and roll groove you'll hear on Early Gut is kind of a joke at first. I mean, obviously, they also think it's just cool to do. But then that becomes part of a musical vocabulary. So I guess I, I say this as sort of a preface when talking about Hyman Holocaust to say that when you listen to this project, this is way down that rabbit hole of porno grind, which is why 
so much of this just coming from a more standard death or black metal background will sound so alien. Because if you really listen to it, these aren't, you know, death metal riffs. They're not really grind riffs. They're their own kind of thing. And what those riffs connect to most distinctly is, I think, a really important conversation. But I'll have that a little bit later once we've done some listening. Um, Black Metal Guy, uh, I assume this is probably the first full porno grind record you've ever listened to. So what, what do you think about this as an intro to the style? Uh, you know, I... Gosh... I, I, this one is not, I gotta say, I'm not that excited by this one. Okay, um, that's fair. Trying to figure out what, like, I've heard other porno grind stuff that sounded crazier to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe gut or something. Both, like, sort of like more sort of blown out, demented tonalities and. Yeah, maybe a little more abrasive, maybe vocals more forward in the mix. Mm-hmm. This is this has kind of a warmer guitar tone, and the vocals sort of blend into the guitar in the way that you kind of might do with those more atmospheric, brutal death vocals. Mm-hmm. But the riffing is very different. Um, that said, that said these impressions of porno grind are pretty old, right? So maybe if you had played me Hyman Holocaust, you know, five or 10 years ago when I was, or longer ago, right? When I was checking this stuff out first, I would have been like, oh, that's fucking insane. <laughs> right? But but this is, so other thoughts, yeah. Um, I guess, uh in some way, yeah, I guess the thing is, the, to me, this is a rather straightforward riff-based record where their focus really isn't the riffs. It's just written riff by riff. And it's kind of basically structured like, it's it's a lot more of a hardcore record. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking um, that myself. This is sort of structured more like stripped-down hardcore in a lot of ways. Yeah, you get some just straight-up death metal riffs, and obviously the tone choice is different. Um, You know, maybe part of it is just hearing one-man hardcore just doesn't (laughs) quite hit right for me. It's like you need a band for that. Um, But, like, other general thing, when you were talking about, like, Pornogride having its own sort of vocabulary, maybe of these kind of, like, uh, stories, chopped up hardcore riffs um uh it's also got like its own tempo right to Mm -hmm. me the characteristic thing has always been extremely slowed down exaggerated skank beats and that it's actually not centered on blasts at all yeah it's the tupa tupa and right and so it's it's the thing that makes it even though it comes out of you know anal cunt or whatever it's not really no like yeah, that's something that throws people for a loop, probably. They might expect it to be speedy grindcore, but it's really... If this is grind, it's in the more free sense of the term. Oh, yeah. I, I would say that the the grind thing is sort of like a leftover conceit. In that it, it. it emerges it. from there. And for instance, like, Hyman Holocaust is a, a Dutch project, and a ton of porno grind comes out of the Netherlands. 
Okay. Um, I'm shocked. Well, because because um, it, this actually isn't the case for the guy behind Hyman Holocaust, but so many of those guys have some sort of affiliation with Last Days of Humanity. Mm. Um, LDOH is just this breeding ground for all their friends bands and all the side projects of the guys in LDOH. It's actually this absurdly fertile creative environment. I mean, that's where we get like the concepts of modern gore noise and shit like that. It, it's a launch pad for a, a ton of niche styles that emphasize different aspects. Right. Well, that is... Yeah, but also it's the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah of course. They're, they're um, the, the porniest. Well, no, the Germans, I think, are the porniest. But <laughs> The Germans have... The Germans have the sort of... Um, it's different kinds, right? In the Netherlands, they sort of let it all hang out. For the Germans, it more, uh, it's it's the you know uh, deeply pent up sort of energy exploding and unpredictable and you know uh, bizarrely perverse ways. <laughs> That's why cock and ball tortures from Germany. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Although these days, I guess, I guess, I guess that explosion's been happening for at least thirty years in Germany. So. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you do point out something pretty relevant, which is I, I figured a sticking point for you on this record would be the fact that it's um, it's at that sort of cruising speed that you're usually not that into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how well? I think that's true. But how is it different from coffins, right? Because coffins is this is it's maybe it's a little faster than coffins. Uh, it is slightly faster than Coffins, it's, and I think Coffins, like, it's interesting because I think they're, they're accessing a ton of the same ingredients, both Coffins I agree. and this yeah. band. Yeah. Um, but I think that Coffins, um, well, one, it's a full band. It's not, you know, a mm -hmm. one-man project. It's not as sort of deliberately mechanical as Hyman Holocaust is. And also just, like, the things they do, the kind of grooves that coffins is into mm -hmm. just tend to be more propulsive owing to that little bit of crust. Like coffins yeah. is always a really slowed down D beat. And then yeah, yeah, Holocaust it, is the Tupa Tupa. It it has the more acts. Yes. It has the, the, the intense syncopation of the D beat and the guitarist is accenting. Um, the guitarist is doing D beat picking in a way that gives it a little more propulsion. I think that's right. So here, yeah, there's a kind of, um, but yeah, yeah, okay, I think that helps distinguish it. It's not so much the tempo as the rhythmic feel at this tempo. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, well, you should probably give them an example. Uh, sure, I, I can do my first one or uh, your first one. Uh, yeah. Let's do a you one first since you'll have better things to say about it. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so basically... I'll give up the secret up front. Uh, I, I think that the primary actual riffing influence on this record and Hyman Holocaust and a lot of Pornograin in general isn't contemporary death or grind bands. It's actually Celtic Frost. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that they get there by way of Mortician, where I've said on the show a few times, Mortician riffs are actually more like Celtic Frost riffs than death metal riffs. Like, Mortician isn't really a death metal band. It's it's weird to say it that way, but, like, the guitar work has nothing to do with death metal. Um, here, uh, here that comes out really clearly, because clearly this is a band that owes a lot to Mortician, but takes Mortician ideas and takes them even further down the rabbit hole into this 
very strange direction, uh, you know, owing to the fact that this is the sixth full-length record by this guy. So what happens when you're taking a deliberately restrictive sort of bare-bones style like Celtic Frost riffing and you're on your sixth album? Well, shit tends to get pretty weird, and you start playing with rhythm and timbre in ways that you might not expect. So we'll go to a song called Nutting to Nothing, um, and... It's fascinating to try to get in the head of like how this was written because clearly this is a song that was written based around a single rhythmic idea. So let's listen to it and then you guys listening at home, see if you can find out what that rhythmic idea is. And then once you've locked onto it, see how he plays with it and contorts it across the surface of the music. Something really interesting happens uh, on this song. So everything on this song is based around that little um, that little four-note snare drag. Um, so what happens is the the drums are designed in a... So we've got a couple back-and-forth A-B riffs up front uh, that are just kind of straightforward porno grind riffs. Then this... This long, slow trem riff begins, and then the drumming underneath it um, is arranged in such a way that it feels like it's sort of splitting the bars. The the little mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Four... it feels like it's six four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's like it's like six four against a four four riff, uh, and then it's coming together after a few repetitions. It's like a very simplified mashuga polyrhythm kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really interesting. Then the following riff, that 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 stompy tupa tupa thing, the four note snare drum roll becomes an inflection, but played on the riff 
uh, with that little uh, four-note uh, uh, palm mute sequence that keeps recurring throughout it. So he's taking this... So he's basically taking this very simple rhythmic fragment and then he's just moving it around, um, which is a really... I, you know, it's a very simple thing, but it's a weird thing that you don't typically hear in metal, an arrangement like that. That's almost more of like a jazz thing. And then that very strange sound object type solo comes in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that with that weird swimming watery quality to it. And that's not something you typically hear in porno ground. You're not hearing people do lead guitar basically ever. Um so that also connects it to, like I said, this sort of experimental and noise grind, noise grind tradition, which is you'll hear a lot of those kinds of sound objects throughout this record. Sometimes it's like lead guitar. Sometimes it's just like some weird sample in the background or something. But there's always some extra feature on these tracks that sort of isolates it as the song where this weird thing happens. Yeah, this one is very odd, and I can okay. I like this one. Mm-hmm. This is this is the change from the kind of um, oddly staggered time to the um, to the uh, to the skank part is also very. Uh, that's really effective because you go from this sort of everything spilling over the edge of its measure to being like rigidly segmented. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's I, almost I, like they're playing the skank beat. It's not like the, they're one of the weird things about pornogrind, right? Is that the skank beat is maybe being unsyncopated, or it's landing the, the kick lands directly on the one. Doop top, doop top, doop top, doop top. More like a polka beat. Is yeah, that, it, because it is a polka top, beat. Yeah. 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 You know, knuckle dragging retard feel. <laughs> exactly. Now, now you're thinking with portals, black metal guy. <laughs> Where porno ground is about finding v- very subtle and elaborate ways to do knuckle dragging retard music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think this is just a good example of um, what makes this album pretty cool to me is that. You know, this is a record that still has those grind priors, so the songs are pretty short and pretty simple. It's usually just three, maybe four riffs per song. But there's a lot of careful decisions being made to make the relationships between those riffs and the relationships between different rhythmic idioms kind of distinct. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an album with 13 tracks on it, and just a new simple but novel idea is explored on each of them. And I think that goes a long way to enhancing the replay value of something like this. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's, um, here's another one with a simple novel idea. Uh, this one is always hardcore. Uh, and that's, uh, yeah, that's basically a track, the track right before the one you just sampled, Mm -hmm. but, uh, let's go.
that actually really reminds me of both of your samples on the demon slot. Oh, yeah, it kind of does. So, I get that. Before we get to that, though, the thing that's not on the Demon Slot record, right, is the, the most obvious just sort of marker for this song is that kind of um, circle pit warm-up riff, right? The, 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 tom, the tom roll. <laughs> right? And actually, um, while, while listening that, to that, I think what that drum beat actually is is a slowed-down intro to Hot for Teacher. Well, it's definitely that too. <laughs> that's a good point. That, but but that that has a more four four feel, not a polyrhythmic kind of thing. Yeah, he's he's. This is more. I because I believe that Morris he was the drummer for Clit Eater, so I believe that these are real drums. I think the beginning of Hot for Teacher is more like the Motorhead Overkill beat tripping over itself because it's so horny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but like it's it's I would believe this guy likes that song. Um, the I don't know. It just it has that sort of like tribal toms in a '90s or 2000s hardcore song. You know, like it is. Oh no, I, I I totally know what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is those those big tom intros to cool hardcore mm-hmm. songs. And and then you know it just gets interrupted. On this record, everything is the interrupting riff. Um, <laughs> every riff works by interrupting the one that came before, right? You get that pit wind-up riff. It should lead organically to some kind of, I don't know, maybe a skank, a two-step or a breakdown or maybe even a different kind of skank part. But then we just get this, like, buzzsaw death metal riff, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really, really elemental death metal in kind of the same way as that proto black metal riff on uh the second demon slot center uh sample right yeah that's a really thin trim riff well yeah there's a lot of a lot of these um these sort of slow winding trim riffs i'm guessing Mm -hmm. are sort of like a a play on old incantation that makes sense but then there's that like weird ass solo where as with the demon slot the first sample the song just fucking falls apart on purpose yeah. and and it's awesome right you all there you also get the conflicting layers right there's a lead that's sort of doing something but the star of the show is this bizarre kind of crumbling super heavy downtuned rhythm riff uh which is very dissonant con- cl- deliberately clashing with the solo and then the gnarliest part of that whole sequence is you think the riff is going to loop but it actually does a key change and i think he plays the same riff even lower yeah uh, there's a there's a weird thing that he's he's playing it like a third lower it's not like a standard like fifth shift like mm-hmm, just going mm-hmm. down a string there's something odder happening there yeah and it's um uh it sounds very drunk um yeah. and the uh the lead the lead suggests both parts really suggest Celtic Frost and Hellhammer but like different parts of different riffs um it's you know you can really hear it there yeah i i, I think that um I think this is a guy who clearly has like a wide variety of things that he's interested in. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's always interesting to hear, you know, Celtic Frost and Celtic Frost riffs are such a Rorschach test. 
in, in that, the, you know, basically every extreme metal band has taken something from Celtic Frost and they've all interpreted it very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this whole record is sort of like, well, it's funny because we were talking about Demon Slot. I, I knew a lot of this was going to come back. Um, it's as though Procreation of the Wicked was like the template for this entire band, and he just took it into this like insanely fucked up weird direction <laughs> for mm-hmm. for something that was already insanely weird and fucked up when it came out, and still kind of is. Like the main riff on Procreation of the Wicked does not make any sort of sense. Um. So anyway. Um, I'll go to another one called, uh, Black Hole Sun, that is, uh, S-O-N. Uh, they're all pun titles and they're all fun. Um, and here I want to talk about, uh, the timbres of this music, because honestly, one of the big reasons that I love sort of gore and porno grind is just the excessive timbres. Uh, we talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago when we covered the Torso Fuck record, which is just hyper-gorked instrumental timbres on mm-hmm. literally everything and sort of a similar thing happens with Hyman Holocaust. And I like, um, I like the idea of taking really exotic timbres and just using them very seriously and playing it straight. You know what I mean? It's like, are we, you can imagine for instance, the vocals on this record being used as an effect in an extreme metal band, but you don't think mm-hmm. about using it just constantly. But then you just do, and then sort of new idioms develop out of that. But let's listen to this song where the distorted bass, that real bulldozer mortician shit, just threatens to overwhelm everything. And there's also this really lovely dark Dorian riff in this sample that sounds like it's coming from Candlemas or Cathedral or something, and I just, I really get a kick out of it.
So, yeah, I mean, the highlight for that is obviously just that huge doom riff, that dun, 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 dun. And then, but then with that really, like, beautiful, like, very, um, very uh, Candlemass Circa Nightfall, that dun, 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 you know, mm-hmm. cap or wrapping it off, which he then ends up, after that's been introduced, he reincorporates that back into that main, like, chuggy stomp riff as... Uh, it's a more dissonant turnaround. Yeah, turnaround, yeah. Turnaround. So there's a lot of, like, very musician-y stuff happening on this record. It's yeah. just very simple when it comes to number of notes per riff. Yeah. But there's a lot of, you know, clever reusing of motifs and reworking them. Um, and I think it's just, it's so cool to hear timbres as fucked up as this, but then with just these very sort of lovely sad nocturnal melodies popping Mm -hmm. up. I I, I love the contrast between the sort of uh, the thematic content and some of the musical ideas on display, Uh, which which kind of like leads back to what I was saying. It's like porno grind started a lot of things and did a lot of things as jokes, but then, well, what happens when you just take them really seriously and you just execute fully committed to some of these ideas? Well, you get, you get shit that's really interesting out of it. And I think that's why I still listen to a lot of this music and just, like, dig through CDRs and tapes of this kind of thing. That song plays almost like a fantasy version, of a fantasy late 80s Doom band. Yeah, yeah. What it's... what can I do with Doom here? Like, there's nothing there that wouldn't fit on a Doomy late 80s record, but it's like... It's centered on a Candlemass riff, and then the Chug riff that brings it in and rolls it out sounds like it could have been on Into Darkness by Winter, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's so cool. And then, but yeah, no, I just, I, I guess I'm just repeating myself, but I, I love the idea of, you know, I, I think playing with timbres is something that extreme metal should do more. Um uh, we've talked about this a fair amount on the show, but every time I hear something that just sounds very exotic in the way it's produced or the way that it's executed, my ears always perk up because, you know, I love a good old school black or death metal guitar tone or something, but there's a whole world of possibilities out there. And when we start sort of mashing them up in weird ways like this, you know, we always talk about it on the show, it expands the possibility space. Yeah, well, we've got some um, some more of that on this next sample. Um, this one is uh, um, this one is an an, an ode to the uh, the recent pandemic of uh, fake Mexican beer that killed millions. This is <laughs> Corona killed my boner.
Yeah, so um, the the star of the show there is again it, it kind of parallels that that circling uh, that circling tribal tom loop that uh, started my other sample. It, it it it's this like oddly syncopated kind of hardcore thing going on, which is uh, this triplet blasted. I guess more like. It's like a noise rock or Metallica kind of syncopated thing. It's one we're all very familiar with, right? You know, it's sort of like mm-hmm. the Killing Joke thing, right? But but blasting it. Um, yeah, it it totally change. It it takes a standard idea and totally changes the inflection of it. Because every yeah. time you've heard that kind of riff before, but the drums are always syncing up with it. Um, yeah, here just cutting across it with that that sort of slow blast makes it feel really fucking weird. I think it's like five four, but each quarter note is subdivided into triplets or something like that. Yeah, it's. I, I was trying to, like, count it off properly. But I'm starting to notice that, I mean, this is, like, three samples now that have had some sort of strange polyrhythmic play on it. Like, really simple time signatures, but arranged in really interesting ways. Yeah. That's actually two measures. Um one, two, three, four. Yeah, like, so it feels like five, four, but stretched across two measures. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'd have to listen to it more closely, but uh, I, I think that's one of the things that makes this album cool is that, like, clearly all the ingredients going into it are very simple, very deliberately spare. But he's got these little tricks of arranging them so that they they come off very, you know, very sort of lopsided and off-center. There's not a lot of symmetrical stuff on this record, uh, which, which I like a lot. I don't Damn know, it. I, I just... Oh, I've what? been outsmarted by a porno grind record. 